Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by Pension B, the flexible pension for the self-employed. They make it easy to contribute as much or as little as you like, as often as you like. Get set up in minutes and then get back to business. And if you've got existing pensions, it's easy to bring them together. Start saving for a future beyond being freelance. Download the app or head to pensionb.com. Pension B is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. With investments, your capital is at risk. But right now, now, let's find out what it's like being freelance. For graphic designer, Frankie Tatora. Quickly learned the type of clients that I didn't enjoy working for and tried to cut them out. Because what I learned was if you get in a versicum with bad clients, they will refer you to other bad clients. Then you're in this situation where you're just getting more and more rubbish work for rubbish money. Basically, I had this baby and I'd been freelancing already and then suddenly my freelance career went... So I went to the internet to try and find anybody who was in a similar situation. I couldn't find anything like that. So I opened this Facebook group not knowing if anybody would join and they did. Hundreds of them quite quickly. There's now nearly 10,000 people in there and it's all a bit nuts. One of the fundamental things about being freelance and having children and getting any kind of balance is instilling boundaries in your life. And one of those boundaries that I have introduced is I will not work evenings and weekends. Rules with myself about no Frankie, don't do that. Yeah, so there is Frankie. Now, you may know, but you may not, so I shall explain. Frankie runs the Doing It For The Kids community, which is for freelancing parents and... I co-host the Doing It For The Kids podcast. But Frankie and I are also co-mentors, so we catch up on a regular basis, discuss our businesses, help each other out. Um, I first discovered what she was doing via the Doing It For The Kids blog and her Instagram account. And then I reached out to her and said, hey, could I write a thing for your blog? I went to a meetup that she organised. And then after that, I suggested, hey, how about we go for a coffee? So we met up for coffee. And then I suggested we do the co-mentoring thing. So we did that. And obviously um, have become friends and do the podcast and so on and so forth. So uh, this is a bit of an unusual one because <laughs> obviously I know this guest particularly well but I'm sure I don't know everything and I can't wait for you to hear her story but honestly I can't recommend it enough if you're a freelancing parent do check out for doing it for the kids podcast in fact lots of people listen who aren't freelancing parents it's like a Q&A thing it's only about 20 minutes long and also for community because as you know freelancing is tough enough right you shouldn't be doing it alone that's why I always tell you to come and join the being freelance community there's a link at beingfreelance.com but if you're also trying to juggle that with being a parent, that's tough even more. So, you know, do it surrounded by people who get what you're going through. I'll put details, of course, in the show notes at beingfreelance.com, where you'll also find a transcription. If you enjoy this, please do reach out to Frankie. Please do share it online. Maybe think about leaving a review as well. OK, shall we crack on? Chat to this week's guest, and that is freelance graphic designer, Based in Somerset, used to be based in London for many, many years, but has now escaped to the country after COVID. Um, and that is Frankie Tortora. Hey, Frankie. Hi, Steve. As ever, how about we get started here and how you got started being freelance? So I'm a freelance graphic designer and I studied music at university, obviously. <laughs> and off the back of that, I ended up in kind of project management jobs, employed jobs, running like creative projects for young people. And it was a great job and I loved it. But ultimately, I was like helping other people to be creative. And I realized that actually I was the one that wanted to get paid to be creative, not facilitate other people's creativity. So, yeah, like three ish, three and a bit years into that, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore, which also <laughs> coincided with the job I was doing at the time being made redundant, which is kind of weirdly good for me because I was given a very small, I was only there for three years, but I was given a bit of money redundancy pay. So I had a bit of a buffer to leave that job and go freelance using that money. There's like a security blanket. But I had never been a graphic designer before. Ah, there's a slight catch. <laughs> yeah. The plan was good. Like, you know, leave, take the redundancy money, go freelance. Great. But I need to get the skills first. So I had about a year where I knew my job was coming to a close, but I hadn't yet finished it. So I did a night course while I was still in that job. Two nights a week, I think it was, doing a graphic design course. And that, again, like weirdly coincided with the end of my contract. And so I jumped in 
And I said I'd give myself six months and see what happens. And then 10 years later, here we are. So. Wow. But so did you get any freelance clients while you were still full-time employed? Sort of. So I did this graphic design course, but it cost £10,000 to do, which was £10,000 I did not have. So I partially crowdfunded my fees. Did you? To do this course. Yeah. Um, which is totally bonkers when you think about it, because why would anybody invest in an individual like that anyway? And why would anybody invest in an individual who's never done design before to be a des- like, it's yeah. kind of um, a bit ridiculous. Anyway, I managed somehow, I did a little campaign, crowdfunding campaign and managed to get kind of, you know, friends, but also colleagues and various other people in my life to give me like really small jobs. So I did graphic design jobs in exchange for really cheap money Ah, so that was like a reward in the crowdfunding thing so you would get a logo for 50 quid it would be crap because i haven't done my course yet (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's it's almost like getting an artist's original they're getting it before before (laughs) you're worth something now steve yeah (laughs) so yeah i did that kind of exchange of skills but the skills weren't really there yet so they paid very little money to get you know basic graphic design so it worked i didn't pay for my entire course it was about 40 percent of my fees wow and I also got a grant through something called the Printing Charity, which support young people going into training. I was under 30 at the time, so I qualified. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I got a bit of money from them, got a bit of money through crowdfunding. And then because I was still working while I was doing this night course, I used my salary to pay the rest of my fees off on a monthly or termly basis, I think. But it was the first time that college had ever seen somebody do that. So your last day at that full-time job... Mm-hmm. Did you have any clients like lined up for the following day or the Monday after the weekend? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think I did, to be honest. In fact, I'm pretty sure I didn't. <laughs> so, what did, so you sat down at your desk, cracked open some biscuits. Yeah, I, I, I had this little desk, basically like a pull down one in a alcove with some book, like basically a bookshelf <laughs> in our living room in our flat in London. Yeah, I sat at my little desk to look professional. And sat at it and went, what happens now? (laughs) So how did you get something to do at your desk other than twiddle your thumbs? Again, I was quite shameless. So I emailed basically everybody I'd ever met in my entire life, whether that was professionally or personally. I used like my personal Facebook, for example, as well as like emails from people at work and whatnot. Um, Probably wouldn't fly now, GDPR. Anyway, (laughs) at the time it was fine. Yeah, and it was just like, you know, I've left this job and this is what I'm doing now. I had a, a website of sorts that had mainly student work on it, but it showed that I could do stuff. So I did a bit of that and got a few, frankly, not very good calibre of clients off the back of that. But the the best thing I did was I joined a co-working space, I think about three months after I went freelance, which was an amazing opportunity. So again, because I was under 30 at the time. Um, this charity called Ideas Tap, who sadly no longer exist, but at the time they supported creative people under 30. And one of the things they did was this thing called Creative Space, which was free desk space in their office in London Bridge. And then we had an entire floor full of all these people doing different creative jobs, um, starting out uh, young people trying to, you know, make it in various industries. There were filmmakers and animators and People have gone on to do amazing things and win crazy awards and stuff. But at the time, we were all like lagging it, basically. (laughs) Um, And you had to go through like a bit of an interview process and do a little presentation about how you'd benefit from being there and all that. And they let me in. And so within about three months of leaving my employed job, I was working in this swanky office in London Bridge with my computer. I moved all my gear there so I didn't have any access to my work. Uh, at home which is kind of good from a boundaries perspective but at the mm. time felt annoying and 90% of my work at that time was off the people that I met through that space and I still get work through people that I met there referring me to people that they now work with and their clients and wow stuff. so was it free 100% free in theory you had to do work for the charity in kind so Ideas Tap, who run the project, you would do, so I would do graphic design work for them in kind uh, per month. You had like a credit system. But really, were they going to chuck you out if you didn't keep up with that? But also that was know. good for your portfolio because you didn't have yes, anything. It worked, yeah, totally. It worked <laughs> both ways. I've got a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, I did some amazing creative work for them over the years. I did a really cool bunch of like coffee table style book and report things for them. And yeah, things I wouldn't have done at that point in my career, probably, mm. had I not been there. It was such an amazing project and I'm so gutted it no longer exists. But 
I benefited from it. <laughs> so thanks very much, guys. So how did you continue to get clients? But also, you know, you said, you know, the first few jobs you had were low caliber. Like, yes. how, how did that start to change? Yeah, I, I owe a lot to that project because um, I met some just incredibly talented people there. And I did some work for them. And it just it's totally word of mouth. It just all spread from there. I do jobs for them and they liked what I did. And therefore, they would tell other people in the co-working space. They would tell people that they work with. And because it was a combination of young people in different industries, I really got to like get access to people in you know vastly different fields to me. But also what I learned very quickly is that every business needs a designer. Like no matter what you do and what industry you're in, my skills were useful <laughs> to them. So actually I was quite high demand by the end of the three years that I was there. I was getting a lot of work because, yeah, everybody needs a designer for something. And would some you point. do anything, if you see what I mean? As in you weren't, oh, I only do this kind of design for this type of people. Yeah, I, I definitely did anything. And I learned that that was not the way forward. <laughs> um, but yes, at the time I did all sorts. I used to build websites, like code websites for people and stuff. Wow. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would do basically anything designy for money at that stage, for sure. Even if it wasn't, you know, amazing. I wasn't particularly good at it or enjoyed it. Would you say you have a niche now? Oh yeah, 100%. So like... Yeah, I started off doing all, all the things, quickly learned that 80% of those things I did not enjoy, quickly learned the type of clients that I didn't enjoy working for and tried to cut them out. Because what I learned was if you get, you know, in inverted commas, bad clients, they will refer you to other bad clients. And then you're in this, um, am I allowed to swear? I don't know. Then you're in this bad situation where you're just getting more and more rubbish work for rubbish money. So, yeah, I realized that was a problem. So I started saying no to certain people and saying yes to other people. And, uh, yeah, it became obvious that the type of projects I really liked doing were colorful and creative and fun and a bit silly. And I didn't really want to do the corporate stuff. I did a lot of work for a um, recruitment company. Oh, don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> um, maybe there are some really creative recruitment companies. I'm sure there are. But at the time. I mean, you were saying yes to certain stuff, no to other stuff. Did you do anything to try and get more of the stuff you wanted to do? Yes. I guess I would hassle the people who I liked working with more than I might have done previously. So if there were people in my space that I really liked working for, I'd be like, hey, we did this thing last month. Is there anything else like that? Or any of the people that you work with that are like you that might want to hire me for that kind of stuff. And then I massively overhauled my own marketing and my website and my portfolio. So like... I cut out all the less creative, fun projects and I only presented the really colourful stuff that I wanted to do more of. And I think in order to do that, I included at least one student project again because I was like, I want to be doing these things. Mm. <laughs> and so when you landed on my website, it was very obvious the kind of work that I could do. And it started to breed those kind of clients asking me for more work. And now I almost exclusively work with, yeah, fun, arty colourful people. But were you doing anything on any form of social media or going out networking or was it purely referrals and then those referrals checking out your website to you know to suss out whether you're you know you're for them and like honestly I owe basically the entire start of my freelance career to that co-working space. But then there were elements of it as well that were you know would be marketing and networking like part of the program there um, one of the things we could do in exchange for our free desk was do talks for the community. Mm. So I did various like presentations on design and starting a business and like, which is hilarious. But anyway, because <laughs> I was only like a year into it anyway. Um, and that would be attended by the people in the project, but would also be open up to members of the charity. So you, you had a membership as a young person to this charity. So people who outside of the space could come in for the talks as well. So I definitely built you know, reputation for myself that way. Mm. But I really didn't, I've, in fact, I still don't now. I'm really not particularly strong on like, you know, using social media and doing all the classic digital marketing things I should do as a small business. I don't really do that. Most of my work just, oh, touch all the wood. <laughs> Most of my work tends to come to me eventually. How did you get on with the sort of pricing side of things? Yeah, badly. I did a lot of work for very little money for a long time. In fact, it makes me feel a bit ill, some of the work I did for so little money. 
Yeah, I underpriced myself for way too long. Again, being part of that project was really good because it did make me up my game in many ways, actually. But like, you know, I walked in to this amazing space with like this amazing window. It was on this muse off like, um, you know, like central London, prime location, yeah. people doing cool stuff. But then once you got through the door, the calibre of the other creative people in that project were also amazing. And they were having like important calls with like big clients or, or seemingly were. But it immediately made me feel like, oh, wow, you know. I'm surrounded by people doing really cool stuff. I want to be doing like it made me feel more of a professional, made me maybe be a bit more like businessy than I might not have been had I been at home on my sofa kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of that was ultimately by the time I'd finished there after three years, my prices had gone up a lot because I think I'd got the confidence of being around these other people who were charging more than me. <laughs> and there were two other designers there as well who I spoke to loads. Hi, Harry. Um, so like, I'd be like, is this too cheap? Is this enough? You know, we'd have those kind of conversations. And that was really helpful. And he was much further along the line than me. He ran or runs still like a almost agency type setup. So I learned a lot from him. So yes, like I started putting my rates up, but it's been a slow and painful process. And I've only really got a decent rate in the last two years, partly thanks to you, Steve, and our co-mentoring situation. Yeah, I, I find pricing myself difficult and uncomfortable and it doesn't seem to be getting much easier. <laughs> so, <laughs> Maybe so, a little bit. So is that like a thing of, it almost feels like, there's that validation in somebody else saying, yeah, go on, do it. Like mm. may Maybe you believe it yourself, but somebody else just kicking you and saying, yeah, it's okay to do that. Yeah. I think like it's scary when you look at a rate and it's described as like a middleweight designer, for example. And that's if, you, if you're at a stage in your career where you don't feel like you're a middleweight or senior designer and you're looking at that kind of money, I think it can be intimidating. I think it's just an imposter syndrome thing, isn't it, really? And you um, would know you would know what those design rates were because of various places. There's a few like websites. There's a major players salary survey that breaks down average daily rates for certain creative jobs, and they have various levels of designer and art worker and whatever in there. And I guess it's just if you do that kind of research, it can be intimidating to look at those numbers because if you don't identify as being at that level, even if you are at that level. <laughs> Sometimes it takes that other person to push you to go, of course you are. Ask for it. It'll be fine. Mm. And turns out it was fine. And I could still probably ask for more now. In fact, I'm contemplating putting my rates up again. So you said three years at that co-workspace mm -hmm. place and then you left. So what, where did you go to another one or did you start working from home or what? I got pregnant. That's what happened. Ah. Yeah. I got pregnant and was like, I'm not getting on a bus to London Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Why? There's actual signs telling other people to get up and give you a seat. Yeah, true. I mean, to be fair, I did commute for a bit while I was pregnant. But by the time I was about six months pregnant, I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done with this now. Yeah, that's why I left. And then the actual, the entire project closed about a year after that. Couldn't cope without you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I got pregnant and was like, I have the flexibility to not commute. So I'm not going to, basically. And I'd already got the perks out of it. Like I already made those connections. So it was fine. So then you start working from home. Mm -hmm. You've got a baby imminent. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people I speak to actually end up freelancing for the flexibility that suddenly becoming a parent has. But actually you were doing it first. How did like freelance life change? Because, you know, you can see it both sides of mm. that point. How did it change after the birth of your child? Yeah, it changed a lot. And sadly, not in a particularly positive way. So the biggest impact initially was I moved out of that space. So I was immediately isolated just by default because I was suddenly back at home on my own. <laughs> um, I was also isolated in the fact that I was we were basically the first people of our friendship group to have a baby. So no one else really understood what was happening or what was gonna happen I didn't understand what was gonna happen but you know we didn't have anybody to like compare or confide in about what was going on and then when I had my baby I had no time to work whatsoever and I found that very difficult because I'd really after three years in that co-working space I'd, I'd found my feet and was feeling quite good and I got all these connections and I was just getting going really or it felt like I was just getting going and then I had a baby and it was like, oh, it felt a bit like 
you know, two steps forward, three steps back. In, in fact, to be honest, it's felt that way. I've got two children now. It's felt a bit like that both times. Having a small baby really does kick your career in the ass. That's the slogan, isn't it? <laughs> and I know there are people who make it work, but I, I'm a time for money freelancer. That's how my business model works. And when I had a little baby and we were living in London where childcare is extortionate, I had no time and therefore didn't make a lot of money mm. and found the whole thing quite, yeah, difficult. And what about that side of it where, as you say, you were suddenly isolated at home because you you had built up, well, your whole freelance career, really. You've been surrounded by other creatives. Mm-hmm. I was isolated at home. None of our friends really understood. And then I was meeting you know, you go to like baby meetups with random people that live in your area. And they were all like, you know, on, they had employed jobs and were on, you know, 18 month maternity leaves. And, you know, how long are you taking off, Frankie? And I was like, I don't know, 14 days. <laughs> and they're all very nice. And, you know, I still see some of those people. But I, yeah, it really, it really um, compounded that feeling. Compounded? Go with it. It's a nice word. It really compounded that feeling of being a bit out on my own at that time. And again, because I have a weird brain, I ended up launching a massive side project, which would allow me to meet people in a very similar situation to me. Um, So that side project is doing it for the kids. Correct. You said, oh, so I created this massive side project. What, What did you actually create? Like, what was your aim? The aim was to feel less alone. Literally, it was a totally selfish project. <laughs> um, basically, I had this baby and I'd been freelancing already. And then suddenly my freelance career went. So I went to the internet to try and find anybody who was in a similar situation, had been through a similar thing. Like, it wasn't anything local to me for people who were self-employed with children. And then I couldn't find anything on the internet. The only things I could find on the internet were like, hey, retrain while on maternity. Leave your employed job. Retrain. Live the business dream. You know, do this course, blah, blah, blah. Great. But I was like, I'm already doing it. I don't need to do a course. I want to talk to people who are managing this tiny person and this tiny business at the same time mm. and the impact that one has on the other. And anyway, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't find anything like that. So oh, there was this day where my son was probably nine months old. He just started to crawl around, like move around. We were in his bedroom and he was like destroying my flat. But I was <laughs> I was letting it happen because I was in the zone, like thinking about this project that I wanted to start. I was sat on my laptop on my um, feeding chair thing, just letting him run riot and just typing out all these ideas I had for this thing, like manically typing. Such a like moment. I can see it so vividly. I just wrote down what my struggles were, what I wanted to exist, what it should look like, what it could do, what the like blue sky version of it would be. Like at one point I was like, I'm going to make an app, like dating app for freelance parents to meet other people in the local area, like peanut style, like mush mums type thing, but for freelancers. I had all these crazy ideas. I applied for like a Google startup program, didn't get it. But, you know, I knew that this thing was something people needed. Well, I I felt like it was because I needed it. So I had these like grand plans. In reality, it started out as a blog. (laughs) Um, Well, the first thing I did actually was I wrote a little questionnaire and anyone I knew through like my Facebook friends, I did a bit of a call out on Facebook. Anyone I knew through mutual friends who was in a similar situation, I got them to fill out a little kind of market research questionnaire thing and got some responses through that, which helped me. And then I built a website with the help of a really old family friend who did it for free. Um, He helped me make this WordPress site. Yeah, it was a blog and it was a collaborative blog. Like it wasn't frankiefreelances.com. The whole idea was it was stories from people like me, beyond me, who had been through this or were going through this and how they managed. So I launched that and then I launched an Instagram page at the same time. And then I'd kind of uh, shout about the blog to try and get people to write for it and then when somebody wrote for it I'd shout about that on the Instagram and two things kind of built up a bit of a following quite quickly but yeah those two things like helped promote the project and then on Instagram we were trying to talk about the content of these blog posts like between us and it's so hard to have a conversation with anybody on Instagram it's just like ugh, content comments getting lost it's not really a platform for people to talk to each other it's more of a like broadcasting type platform So somebody somewhere was like, oh, we should have a Facebook group. And I was like, that's an excellent idea. 
So I opened this Facebook group, not knowing if anybody would join, and they did. Hundreds of them quite quickly. Um, <laughs> there's now nearly 10,000 people in there. And I get about 35 requests to join a day. And it's all a bit nuts. So you were feeling isolated, but you found the people you needed to find by starting something. Yeah, it's that classic origin story, isn't it? It's like I had a problem and no one else was solving it. So I went out and solved it myself. <laughs> Which is awesome from a, from a feeling seen and feeling part of something yes. point of view. But also one of the problems that you pointed out was that you had no time to do any work. Mm -hmm. And yet you just seem to have created time doing something that wasn't work. So how how was work going at that same time? I had some actually uh work was work was interesting. When I first came back from maternity leave the first time, I actually had a really great gig again through someone in that co-working space. They set me up on this magazine job where I did a quarterly magazine about mobile technology. But it was a quarterly gig, so I was working on it like a lot of the year because it was a big mag and I was doing it entirely on my own. We wouldn't have any illustrators or anything, it was just me. And I got paid pretty well for it. So that was quite, I don't know, I was actually doing all right at that point. I had other stuff as well, but that was my like regular income. And then I got dropped from that. I can't remember exactly when. Um, maybe I did it for 18 months or something. I feel like in a way that coincided with when my child was even harder to look after. Because when they're a baby, you know, they sleep <laughs> during the day, that is. Maybe not at night. They are sort of easier to manage in a way when they're really small. And me losing that magazine job was basically when my child was suddenly, you know, could walk and talk and was demanding a lot more of me. Mm. Um, and I found like recovering financially from that quite difficult, mainly because, yeah, the cost of childcare is just so extortionate. It's crazy. I appreciate it'll be cheaper if you live elsewhere in the UK, but where we were, it was. It's like having another mortgage sort of thing. Yeah, more than. <laughs> for like two days a week, a month. And it's just mad. Did you ever think, is it even worth me working? Yes, 100%. We talked about that. Which is like one of the really shocking things about the modern world that we live in is that that's still a conversation that mainly women are having with their partners. Oh, maybe you should give up your job so you can look after your child. And no shade to anybody who does. That's totally up to you. But me and my husband um, had a conversation about it. And he was like, we're not doing that. You would lose your mind, basically. And I would. I'm not designed to be in my house all the time looking after a small person. I love my small people, but I would have probably been quite depressed, to be honest, had I been doing that full time. Like my work kept me sane. Um, I remember going back after maternity leave the first time and feeling like a butterfly emerging from its whatever it's called. <laughs> like the day he went to nursery and I like cleaned my desk and like, you know, did updates on my computer and it just felt like it felt great. Yeah, work makes me happy in a different way that, than my children do. And it's very important to me. And it's massively tied to my identity and my ability to contribute to the family finances. And all that stuff makes me feel good. But then when you're paying such a large amount of money for mm. them to be in care for that day, did that change how you then approached that day? All the updates have been done. Your desk is clean. Like how you actually <laughs> approach the work? Oh, yeah. It was like... Work, 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 work solidly, keep working, never stop working. And then I worked nights. I worked three or four nights a week for years. Oh, awful. <laughs> I know people are in it now in my community, but it's such a rough time when you put your children to bed and then you stay up till one, two, three. And then it's always like the minute you put your head on the pillow, they start crying. It's like sod's law. It could be quite a challenging time. So yeah, I'd work a lot of nights, I'd work a lot of weekends to make sure that the money I had coming in was that childcare cost and more. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. I should have put my rates up, Steve. That's what I should have done. <laughs> <laughs> but meanwhile, this doing it for the kids community takes off. Yes. So the, the joy of that is I could do it from my phone. I didn't have to be tied to my desk because I didn't have any time, but I could be doing that while my son was rolling around on the floor and I was, you know, making mushed potatoes and whatever. I could be talking to people on my phone, wherever I was, which is how that project managed to survive, I think. Had I needed to be on my computer to run it, it just wouldn't have happened because it would have taken up nursery time, which would have been crazy, wouldn't have made any sense. 
And it made me happy. Running that project made me happy. As I say, on a selfish level, I felt seen and heard and like was getting amazing advice from other people who were a bit further along than me. It transformed how I felt about the situation I was in, being able to talk to other people who were doing it. And the thing is, I love that you say that, like it made you happy because it wasn't making you money. No. Like <laughs> the work was making you money. This was taking up lots of time. But that's that whole thing of like doing something because it's, it's, it feels like it's, I don't know, doing something so much more, I guess. It's emotional money, emotional credit in yeah. the bank rather than financial. Yeah. I mean, does that take us more towards where we are now or has stuff happened in between? Not a lot has happened as a designer i've just done more work for more people that do cool things that i want to work on (laughs) as in i've gone more niche my website's more in your face color than it ever has been and i get paid normal now because i've put my rates up three four times now so that's all just kind of continued as you would expect it to I'm, i'm not the kind of person who wants to open an agency i don't want to start employing people i'm just very happy getting paid to do creative work for Cool people, basically. Hope you're enjoying Frankie's story. Back with her in a moment. But I quickly want to say thank you for the support of Hrefs, who are sponsoring this episode as well. Hrefs make their webmaster tools available for free to help you with your SEO. So if you want to get more Google traffic, if you're struggling to rank, you're not sure what to do about it, give yourself a little trip to hrefs.com slash A-W-T, where you type in your URL and then their little bots go off and trawl your website and give you a regular report telling you all the different things that you can tweak or fix in order to get Google looking at your site more favorably. Hrefs also have loads of tutorials if you want to go a bit deeper, but also just really handy little question mark buttons that you can click that explain thing so you don't have to be an seo expert to get the seo juice your website needs you can simply get started by using hrefs webmaster tools as i say it's free go to hrefs.com slash awt to find out more hrefs is a-h-r-e-f-s.com and thank you to them right let's get back to frankie's story it's funny because, of course, somewhere in this moment, we obviously met. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, f- I feel like I got sent, uh, a, a, you know, like those press screenings. I've been invited to a press screening and I know what's coming up sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Don't spoil it, Steve. Yeah, Don't exactly. <laughs> Don't want to spoil it. But then I remember eventually saying, oh, how about we meet up? Because we both seem to be running these yeah, these yeah, yeah. big side projects. And then we started co-mentoring each other, which was your idea, via Frankie Shanahan and Charlie Swift. So yeah, you suggested that. And then we started doing this kind of chatting to each other once a month about business and life and side projects thing. And then off the back of that, we made a podcast. I'm not saying this to like blow smoke up my ass and things. <laughs> but but I'm going to ask a question. Did co-mentoring have an impact? Yeah, it had a massive impact. Um, I literally wouldn't be doing most of the things I'm doing now had we not started doing that. But it's funny because when I think about it, I probably had co-mentors in my life previously, like people like Harry at that co-working space, who I would always talk to about stuff. I don't know, there are always people who I would talk to about freelancing and whatnot. But it was never in like a formal, regular way. So we started doing it in this like, you know, we're going to commit to doing this once month way, which I mean, frankly, why don't, why doesn't everybody do that? Because um, like doing it ad hoc in the pub is great, but you get so much more out of it when you commit to having those conversations on a regular basis with consistently the same people. Yeah, like it's had a massive impact. Huge. Yeah, everybody should do it. Find someone in your life that you can talk to about freelancing. And- Do you know what? I will put a link in the show notes. Go to beingfreelance.com because Frankie and I have talked about co-mentoring on other podcasts. Most recently, 15 Minute Freelancer, if you want to search for it. After you've listened to this, hold your horses. But yeah, I'll put a link at beingfreelance.com. Do you feel that doing the podcast made a difference to your business? Yeah, if, if you were to ask me about like marketing my business, I don't market my business. I don't, I occasionally post on my graphics Instagram and go, look, I made this thing. <laughs> but I say occasionally, like once every six months, my website is deeply out of date. My biggest marketing 
project is doing it for the kids. And even then, I'm not particularly good at shouting about the fact that I'm a designer in it. But yeah, it's like built a profile for me that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I've got clients through it that I wouldn't have got had I not, you know, met those people through that project. And then I think the podcast has helped people, you know, that whole like people buy from people thing. It's helped people to get to know me better and therefore feel that, you know, they can email me and say, hey, what this thing, I'd love you to work on it in a way that they might not do if it was like a cold, just go to your website kind of exchange. Um, and also, I like to think sometimes it proves that I know something about what I'm doing. <laughs> not always, but, you know, it builds, um, shows I have some knowledge, shows that, you know, I take myself seriously and I'm a freelancer that's worth investing in hopefully maybe so somehow we end up like today where you've recently though taken that facebook group and launched the same community but different community <laughs> off of facebook <laughs> yeah so i was running this facebook group and for a long time it was wonderful i mean it still is wonderful but it got a bit big and you know it's free and it's on facebook it's like the most accessible it's not accessible and that you have to apply to join it's a private group but in terms of like things you can access on the internet a facebook group is pretty you know low barriers to entry <laughs> um so frankly there are a lot of people in there who don't necessarily get what the project is about um haven't necessarily even been on the website don't know who i am um a lot of people in there who are just trying to flog whatever they're trying to flog there are some amazing people in there as well but it's over time it's become diluted and it's lost a bit of the joy and um, not just the joy, but for a really long time, you could see the benefit it was having for the people in there. You could see the connections being made on a daily basis. I knew almost everybody by name and vaguely what they did. And I could connect those people in a real way that they could go on and like work together or refer. I don't know, whatever. It was great. Part of the whole process of taking it off Facebook, and I'm asking people to pay for it now, it's not free anymore. Part of that entire process is to make it smaller again and to get people in there who really want to be there and who really understand the vibe and like what it's about. Bring it back to how it felt originally when it was smaller. And also on a personal level, ultimately, I don't really want to be on Facebook anymore. So it's kind of a combination of those two things. I want to leave. I don't want doing it for the kids to just die <laughs> I want it to be manageable and enjoyable again so I'm I've relaunched it on a new platform called Circle and it's all the good stuff in the Facebook group but in my opinion way better like it's much better organized than a Facebook group can be it's a bit like um Slack vibes it's got like different type channel type things for different uh, types of conversations there's a jobs board there's a um, directory where people are listed by their skills and it's just like all the things we were trying to do in the Facebook group to connect with each other but we never could. It's all of those things we can now do on this new platform. So like, it's better for me in terms of running it, but it's also infinitely better for the people in the community. And hopefully, I mean, they're already getting loads out of it, but hopefully, you know, going forward, it's going to be even more powerful than it was on Facebook. Yeah. So that is now then adding a new income stream? Yeah. So my aim for it was to get about a 50-50 balance of like, this community making money and me doing my freelance work and the community would kind of take the edge off that monthly cash flow thing, allowing me more freedom to choose the projects that I really want to do and maybe do projects that, you know, don't have the budget that I would like, but I'd still like to work with them. Like I had, I would have the freedom to do those kind of things as well. Um, but yes, the aim is like about 50, 50 and that's quite revolutionary. Yeah, it is revolutionary because it's only ever been the time for money model. So to have people paying per month, I mean, it's, it's only early days, so I don't know how that's going to feel. But yeah, it's a very different model to the one I'm used to and have been doing for 10 years. There's still a lot of work involved in... Yeah, so you say like, I'm not doing time for money. But right now, like, I am speaking to every person in my community personally, multiple times a day. I'm interacting with every thread, comment, there's also a lot of stuff planning going on behind the scenes and like I'm writing content and we make a podcast. Like there's a lot of work that goes in to that. So while, what's the whole like passive income nonsense, isn't it? It's not, it's not passive income, is it? 
It's not. I mean, I never thought it would be. There's a lot of work involved. It's a high labour thing. If you're thinking, oh, I'm going to start an online community, that will, you know, I'll be raking it in and I won't have to do very much. You are sadly misinformed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because there's a lot of work managing it. But also you have put in years of willingly unpaid work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to get to this point. Yeah, there's probably easier ways of making money. Definitely. (laughs) Genuinely, if anybody out there is like, "Mm, you know, I'm thinking about doing this community thing, but I don't know what's going to be involved please email me because I will happily talk to you about what is involved. Because <laughs> you need to know, I think, because I didn't. I didn't when I started. I had no idea how much work would be involved. And I'm not sure I would have done it had I known. Really? Yeah, how much it would take over my life. I mean, I love it and it's amazing. But it is a lot of work. But one of my aims for like the new paid platform is to turn over enough to also pay people in the community to help me run it, to create a little like bubble of doing it for the kids, freelancers who are all getting paid by doing it for the kids. But yeah, I love the idea of like some of that money being spent back in the community itself. Like that's kind of cool. And we didn't even touch on the fact that you you organised meetups to do that community Mm -hmm. as well. They're currently on hold. They were on hold due to COVID. And then I've been concentrating on just getting this new version over the line. So once the new community is kind of bedded in a bit and it's all calmed down a little, then meetups are going to be back, hopefully. I love how inadvertently creating something that you kind of needed has brought you what you needed Mm. in support, but also helped focus your niche, it feels like, as a designer and presumably introduce you to more of those kind of people as well definitely it's helped your yeah business and now is starting to pay or rather you're not feeling bad about charging for all of this value that you you bring as well yeah like weirdly I think I needed to do it for five years to get to the point where I could charge now I totally understand the value that I bring and know that that's worth paying for whereas when I started out I might be more like oh what is the value would people pay for that but now I, I don't know. I just feel like so many reasons, actually. Like on paper, it might look like I've spent too long to get to this point. Why didn't she do it earlier? Why didn't she blah, 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 blah. But um, on so many levels, I feel like this is exactly the right time. And like not to get all, you know, karma or whatever, but it feels like it sort of happened this late for a reason. And now everything feels comfortable and right. And it might not have felt that good had I pushed it too soon. Maybe. I can't not ask you about work-life balance then. God. But mainly because I just like asking everybody yeah. about it. Mm. But clearly, well, running a business alongside a family is integral to everything that you kind of do and talk about and things. But how, how do you find it? Well, one of the joys of having small humans in your house is they change on the daily. And had you asked me that question three years ago, I would have give you a very different answer to the one I'm going to give you now because <laughs> when I was work- working three or four nights a week I didn't have any balance I was exhausted it was rubbish <laughs> working nights and weekends was not the one um, I'm now at a point where I think it's a combination of two things one is my children are older and are more self-sufficient I mean she's only three and a half but <laughs> she can go to the toilet now you know things like that yeah so there's like partly my children are older but also one of the fundamental things about being freelance and having children and getting any kind of balance is instilling boundaries in your life. And one of those boundaries that I have introduced with myself is I will not work evenings and weekends unless I really, really, really have to. Like I'm on a deadline and I'll I'll miss it if I don't. Or if there's a thing I want to do in the evening that will make me happy, like it's a job that I enjoy, like there are parts of my job that I enjoy doing. particularly in my community now like chatting to somebody at nine o'clock at night doesn't sound that I mean maybe it does sound bad to somebody that doesn't live my life but you know (laughs) um that's okay to me um whereas before I would have just been working evenings by default because that's how it was at that time so yeah I've tried to get more balance and work more in daytime hours partly thanks to older children and partly thanks to my own rules with myself about no, Frankie, don't do that. Because you'll be knackered the next day. That's it. You're always 
catching up with yourself. And then you lose hours in your child-free time where you're having a nap. And it's like, well, that's fine, but I don't know. Everyone works differently as well. Like, I know I'm the most productive in the morning, but somebody else might. There are a lot of night owls in the community who do their best work at 10 o'clock at night. I'm not going to deny them that option. That's the joy of it, right? Flexibility. Mm. So, like, yeah, that's probably important to say in that balance to me is going to look very different to somebody else. And my version of that is not working till midnight, but somebody else might thrive at midnight. Now, Frankie, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie. And let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? I have a hidden tattoo. Hmm. I have sung live on Radio 2 at Maida Vale Studios. <gasps> Amy Winehouse nearly spat on me once. <laughs> OK, so you mentioned that you did music, mm-hmm. that you studied music. Mm-hmm. And I do know that you can sing. But why would you have ended up playing? What, yeah, why did you end up? Maida Vale, that's like their big live session type studio thing that mm-hmm. they do. Legendary. W- why? Because I'm a legend, Steve. <laughs> Were you accompanying someone? Yes, I was singing backing vocals. For who? For my dad. So your dad was performing on Radio 2? He had a session on Radio 2. No way! A long time ago now. Oh, unless this is a lie. Well, that's the game, Steve. <laughs> I know, because, okay, so, I, you know, it's only fair that I share the knowledge that I already have is that Frank is... You would find Frankie's dad on Spotify. But was he on Radio 2? That's, for those listening around the world, that's like our... In fact, it is the biggest radio station in the UK, I think you'll find. So what's your tattoo of? A heart. And where is it? (laughs) It's it's hidden. It's nowhere, like, super sensitive. It's like, I would describe it as my inner thigh. Right. Not my outer thigh. You can't see it. In day-to-day life. And when did you have that done? Oh, as a teenager. I was like 19. What colour is it? I wouldn't got it now. What colour is it? It's just black. Just an outline. Not a solid heart. Oh, that would have been more money that I didn't have when I was 19. <laughs> I was going to say. All right. That, I mean, lots of people get tattooed. I mean, why not? I also had a nose piercing at that time. Yeah, and I lots. basically shaved my head as well as a teenager. So. Did you? Yeah. Did I, I've told you that before. I don't listen. I should have said that. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> and Amy Winehouse nearly spat on you. Mm-hmm. Why? Had you just shown somebody sitting next to her your inner thigh tattoo? <laughs> I wouldn't blame her. I worked in a very famous pub now called the Hawley Arms in Camden Town. I worked oh, yeah. there from, again, like when I was 18, when I left school, through till I was about 22 after I left uni. Okay, right. I'm just trying to do the maths. So you're 36, so 21. Hang on, bear with me. 2008. So she must have been... She was mega famous. She was mega famous. Why did she almost spit on you? I didn't even ask that. So when I started there, it was like an old man pub. By the time it finished, Amy Winehouse was drinking there and it was crazy. They had bouncers on the door on a Friday night. And they would literally fill it with as many people as you were allowed to. So I was collecting glasses. I was basically crawling through the crowd, like under people. <laughs> and I don't know why she was spitting, but maybe she had something dodgy in her mouth. or It wasn't like a hack it back and, you know, it wasn't like she was spitting intentionally. She was just right. something in her mouth or whatever. And I happened to go past her collecting glasses at that moment. And she nearly spat on me. Okay. All right, I'm going to say Amy Winehouse feels true because you're saying she nearly spat on you. And I think if you made that lie up, then it would have landed flat straight on your face and she would have apologised and written a song about it or, (laughs) you know, like Gob Dries on its own or something like that. It would have been a very different song. So so I think that's true. (sighs) Hidden Tattoo or Radio 2? That sounds like a game show. (laughs) (laughs) You could easily have a hidden tattoo you see i feel like you're a bit squeamish would you get a tattoo am i i almost feel bad now because it almost feels like i'm saying did your dad appear on radio <laughs> 2 this feels so, like right, he won't listen he won't be offended do i believe that i'm not sure i do you know i'm not sure and that's no offense to your dad but that is a really big deal playing at maida vale on radio 2 and so i kind of feel like maybe that yeah i'm gonna say that's the lie you're wrong you are wrong 
Oh, this went better than I'd planned. <laughs> you don't have a tattoo? Correct, I don't have a tattoo. I did pierce my nose, though, and shave my head, but I didn't get a tattoo. I was, pre- I was prepared to describe you the, the tattoo parlour in Camden. Wow, but you did sing on Radio 2, that's cool. Yeah. He had a Radio 2 live session on the Paul Jones show, which is a blues, rhythm and blues show. Wow, your dad is cool. Yeah, man, he is. Look him up, Guy Tortora, available on Spotify and you can buy his CDs and stuff like old school, you know. So if we get to Spotify, will we hear you singing backing vocals on any of that? Oh, yeah, I'm on his albums as well. Yeah, 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 me and my sister, yeah. Oh, lovely. Okay, Frankie, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Well, I would tell my younger self, I know this is so dull, I would tell my younger self to educate herself about Class 4 national insurance. (laughs) You're right, that's so dull! (laughs) (laughs) But I got burnt so hard by class four national insurance and I, I it took me years to recover from that debt what in what way i didn't even know it was a thing i had to save i had the tax but i did not have the class four national insurance and i didn't have the money and i had to put it on credit cards and it was bad how did you find out that you owed it because i put all the numbers on the self-assessment on the 31st of january and it said you owe us two and a half grand more than you thought you did i was like oh uh, so was that your first self-assessment yeah, first or second i can't remember oh, it was I the one see. where i earned enough money to pay tax got you i see so you'd been a good freelancer and put aside the money you thought you owed for tax mm-hmm. but i did not know about class four i knew about right. class two did not know about class four because right. essentially another tax it's nine percent of your profits over nine grand or something i can't remember check check hmrc or wherever you are <laughs> I know that's really boring, but had I known that, I would have saved myself a lot of pain. It is boring, yeah. But you've just helped someone out, that's go. for sure. Frankie, it's been so good to talk to you, which I know sounds crazy because you and I talk to, to each, each other, other all the a time. lot. <laughs> we make a podcast together. You can go search for it now, doing it for the kids, uh, especially if you're self-employed around running a family. But for that matter, lots of people who listen aren't doing no. that. And um, just enjoy it anyway. Each episode is only like 20 minutes. So search for doing it for the kids. But also, if you're in that position of being a freelancing parent, do check out the community as well. Go to doingitforthekids.net. But as for all of our guests, you will find show notes, a transcription, links through to what Frankie's doing so that you can reach out to her and find these things online as well. So go to beingfreelance.com. Frankie, thank you for waiting so long for me to invite you on. All the best being freelance. Thanks. So there we go. Frankie's story. Hope you enjoyed that. And if you joined Doing It For The Kids community, I will see you in there. Don't forget to check out the podcast. Wow. That means we have just three episodes left for season 17 of the Being Freelance podcast. And then I'm taking a break for the summer. But there's loads of stuff that you can get stuck into with Being Freelance podcast, videos, the merch, the course, the community, the articles. It's all for you at beingfreelance.com. So please do take a look. Okay, I'm out of here. You have a great week. Being Freelance. <laughs>